Hey, so Jesse, we talk a lot about college on this show. Yeah, we do. And what we actually mean is Avondale University College, where we both got our bachelor degrees in ministry and theology. Yeah, and, you know, that's also where we became buddies and we lived in the dorms, we ate at the calf, walked to class in the sunshine. It was great. It was great. We had late night Maccas runs, we led in worship, and uh, we also met some of our closest friends there. Absolutely. Probably one too many late night Maccas runs for me, but, you know, honestly, studying at Avondale was the best, and we're so stoked to say that this episode is sponsored by Avondale University College. Called to make a difference? Called to beat Avondale. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is. And speaking of saving the best and burning the rest, we're talking about climate change. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not a great segue, but That's it's the a, best it, I could do on short notice. It's a little bit sad and also horrifying, but also encapsulates what we're talking about quite well in a way. It does. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but so, hey, we're... We're not here. We're not here on our own, though, Josh, to talk about this, are we? That's true. We are not. Everybody, please welcome Daniel Cocking to the show. Daniel, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> there is a crowd of people all around <laughs> cheering you in their cars, yeah. doing their makeup at the gym right now that you are here. So thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picture, picturing it right now behind me. Yeah. All, yeah. all your groupies, Dan, all of them. Love it. Love it. Um, uh, that's, that's awesome. Could you, uh, could you give us a, a quick bio, Dan? Who are you and uh, what do you do with yourself? What's your favorite hot drink? No, no. Uh, give us, give us, your, uh, give us your, your technical bio and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, okay. So a bit about myself. I am currently living in Melbourne. I'm um, going to Mazdaq Church, which is the church which Josh Wood pastors, who also is on this podcast here and there. Total um, legend. Great le- legend. He's made me a very, very nice coffee with some coffee art at home, Ooh. which I didn't know was really possible. So <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice host. So I'm, I'm actually in his office right now enjoying all of his equipment. So I don't, I don't have fancy mics and stuff at my place. But yeah, so I am studying, I was just finishing a degree in environmental engineering and studying sociology. And so I've always been, I guess, thinking about the issues of climate change and what that poses to us uh, for our planet. And I have... Um, like, yes, uh, wanted to try to look at not only the technical issues, but also the social issues um, around that to be able to help drive change and, and ensure a better world forward. Um, and so, yes, over my time, I've worked in a few different climate energy related roles. And so I've worked for the past three years as a sustainability consultant, where we've been helping advise architects and developers to make buildings more efficient. And then I worked for a year with Tesla. And so there I was helping sell electric cars and uh, wow. educating the public about renewable energy and uh, batteries and EVs and all that sort of stuff. Whoa. Okay. I'm your biggest fan. Just <laughs> just became your biggest fan. That's so cool, man. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt, but I was like, whoa, <laughs> working for yeah. Tesla. Tesla. It, it was a 12-month stint, but yeah, some, okay. of the, some of the best 
most fun days of my life, I think. <laughs> just hanging out, playing golf with Elon, you know, just kicking back <laughs> in Melbourne. Does he play golf? I don't know if he's the kind of guy who would play golf, is he? I've been thinking about golf recently just because Trump has been playing golf every other day. So I think that's just my default. <laughs> it's billion. if you want to en- enter the upper echelons of society and meet with politicians or do shady yes. deals, you, you got to know how to, how to have a good arm and, and play golf well, I think. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All the deals uh, are made on the green. <laughs> Which is interesting uh, because past, uh, golf is often referred in Christian circles as the pastor's sport. Ah, really? Yeah. A lot of pastors play golf. Like a lot of pastors play golf. That's it's true. It's quite common. That's true. Mm. That's that's weird. So maybe Jesse and I need to start playing golf. Maybe, maybe that's what we're missing in life. Maybe I that's mean, not for the shady deals and well, side, but No, well, I was going to say that's maybe that's why we haven't advanced our careers enough is because we aren't playing golf. We're just sitting here doing a podcast being lame anyway this is derailing derailing let's get back to dan you've just completed some of your most important exams you've just you've just finished up um some some of your work and you're moving on to what are you moving on to next so yeah so i've just resigned from my current role as a consultant as a sustainability consultant so i had my last day yesterday and then from Monday next week, I'm starting a role with the Victorian government, which is a state in Australia, and I'll be working climate change and renewable energy policy with them from Monday. So <laughs> wow. that will be an exciting chapter. And I don't really know, like working from home, I don't know what the induction is going to be like. I'm not sure how we're going <laughs> to juggle it, but I'm, I'm excited excited to start it and see what happens. Hmm. That's huge, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. What an exciting opportunity. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, well, hey, just to catch everybody up to speed as well, um, the reason we're talking about climate change, because um, some some people maybe aren't really getting the nuance of what this necessarily has to do with Adventism and what it has to do with um, our theme of Burn the Haystack as well. Uh, but, it, you know, I would f- plainly say climate change has to do with everybody. It doesn't matter your religion or ra- you know, race or... Um, country of origin, anything like that. I think it's just, it's something everybody's going to have to deal with um, Mm. or we have to deal with now. Um, But there is a specific nuance to it that Jesse touched on really well in an episode we did a few weeks ago now um, about the Sunday law. Um, Episode was called... (laughs) Wait, I'm just getting it up in front of me. I don't want to get the name wrong because I don't want to mislead people (laughs) if they want to go back and listen to it, you know. Um, I don't even remember what I said for the for the record. What <laughs> what whatever profound thing Josh is about to say, I don't even remember saying it. So just take no, that for well, all it's worth. You the episode was called, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Sunday that cried wolf. Oh, um, yes. So, but in that episode, we were talking a little bit about some of the some of the dialogue that goes around the Adventist uh, worldview around the end around the end of the world. And Jesse gave a really great summary. I don't know if you're going to be able to do it for us again, briefly in the episode about some of the um, maybe misinformation is the right word and some of the rhetoric that goes around about climate change from some particular people in our church. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah, I do remember that. So all I was talking about, and Daniel, I'd really be interested in your take on this, is at least what I found is that Whenever you bring up climate change amongst Adventists, or at least you know Christians in general, I found this with Christians in general, um, those who are a l- sort of more right-leaning 
tend to immediately jump on the um, the 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 denier bandwagon or the the doubting bandwagon, whereas it seems in my view that left-leaning Christians tend to be a little bit more with the program as far as like understanding what climate change is and what we have to do. Has that been your experience or have you? has it been different for you? Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think there's definitely um, some parts of the church who will definitely speak about climate change almost as a thing that's going to bring about this new world order and yes. like we're all the world's going to burn anyway like you know we read this in revelation like why should we care like let's just yeah. go about living our lives and and mm-hmm. it is what it is yeah because i think if i can just think off the top of my head the the pope is often associated with that because the especially pope francis has been a very um a very stalwart advocate for uh, climate change reform. And of course, he's such an influential voice. Um, How many billions of Catholics are there around the world? Not to mention the fact that he has a significant political, uh, religious power even outside the Catholic world. So I think oftentimes we've taken that to mean that um, basically climate change is a front for, yeah, new world order, for mass media control, for world control, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's one of those highly um, contentious subjects. But I, I think the reason why I'm so uh, interested in talking about it with you, Daniel, is the fact that um, whether we like it or not, as Josh alluded to earlier, it's something that everybody's going to have to deal with eventually if we don't really take um, a different approach to the way that we burn fossil fuels and use energy and all this sort of stuff. Um so I guess should we start with maybe uh, when did you get interested in pursuing this as a as a career? Did you have an interest in climate um, science from an earlier age, or what was that for you? And then I think let's let's talk about this in as little a politicized tone as possible because um, I think it is really serious and important. So yeah. Um, when did you first get interested in climate science? Sure, sure. So I think um, for me, I've grown up in a family where uh, my family been very climate conscious. My dad's been known as a greenie uh, for, my, for much of his life. <laughs> and I think that's definitely translated down into how I've seen the world. Um, I think it definitely came real for me around... Uh, the early 2000s when Al Gore came out with his Inconvenient Truth movie. And I remember watching that as a kid and that being very influential in me going, wow, like like ice caps are melting, like the sea levels can rise by, I don't know, a few metres and that's going to put all these specific islands underwater, looking at um, the impact that would have. And so in the early 2000s, that was real for me from, I guess, an intellectual perspective. Uh, And then I spent a fair bit of my childhood going to regional Victoria um, and we were friends with farmers there. And I think during the early 2000s in Australia, there was what's been known as the millennium drought, which was a period of subsequent years, which uh, in the late 2000s, which um, brought devastation to farmers across across the area because they just didn't have enough water to sustain their crops or sustain their mm-hmm. livestock. Um, and there was just this huge, I guess, springboard for the Australian government to... And, and, and all governments to, to try to come up with some sort of way of protecting the environment. And I studied that closely then in school. Uh, I did geography for year 12. And so then we're looking at climate science there. 
And then uh, I guess from beyond, I decided I'd continue it and do it in the university. Mm. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Um, Cause my dad used to be a farmer out in country Victoria. And um, man, I remember this huge drought season when I was a kid, eh? And mm. just seeing what happened to the land around us, it was crazy to be mm. a part of. So drought has always been a very real, and I'm sure there are many of our listeners who are, you know, have seen it or grown up with it or are currently experiencing that kind of thing. But it's very real when people start talking about droughts and then when they start talking about how droughts could get longer and worse, it's like, oh, wow, that's a scary yeah. thought. Mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy. Um, yeah, okay, so climate change. Can you maybe, man, I was going to say, can you break like the whole thing down for us in like the simplest way? Like it's such it's such a complex and such an intimidating even for me to ask that question. But could you maybe just give us the very basic, what is climate change and how long has it been going on for? And what are some of the things that people misunderstand when it comes to uh, seeing what, what climate change is? You can attack that from whatever you want, man. Like, as I said, like, it's so intimidating for me. But yeah, what's a good place to start with when we talk about climate change? Sure, sure. Okay, well, I think I've heard it explained in many kind of narrow ways and just looking at the specific science on greenhouse gas like how, and how that works. But maybe I'll start big picture because that, that's how I like to think and that's how I like to see the world. So I guess cool. the brief two-minute overview is that for thousands of years, the Earth has sustained a population of around... 100, 1 billion people, and that's gone on for thousands and thousands of years, um, however however you want to look at that. Um, and the majority of the people have been subsistence farmers, um, whether that's rice farmers around Asia or whether that's other sort of wheat farmers um, in the Middle East and in Europe as well. Um, and there's this concept in ecology called a carrying capacity. And so a system has um, a certain number of, of animals or a certain number of humans with which it can sustain life. Uh, if you think of that, like you think of the food chain, you've got like, uh, what's an example? You've got like rabbits, you've got X number of rabbits, and then you might have foxes which go in and kill the rabbits. And mm. then you might have other predators who eat the foxes and, and a system exists and there's certain numbers of, of different levels of the, of the food chain which, which um, an ecosystem can sustain. Um, and for thousands and thousands of years, Earth's carrying capacity, so to speak, was around this one billion person mark. Um, there's this economist called Thomas Malthus, who was kind of like very, uh, he wrote a lot in the late 1800s and early 1900s, just saying that it seems like humanity is always going to be doomed because if you have a good crop and you're, you're growing lots of food, then you might have more children and then you've got more kids to till the field and then you've got too many people. And then by the next generations, you don't have enough food to sustain this um, exponential or ge geometric growth from rapid population growth. And then people die of starvation and the population shrinks again, but it's just expanding and contracting. Mm. Um, and so he wrote in the early 1900s saying, look, it seems like the earth is always going to be doomed. writings there. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, most people were just going to be living in poverty. And then this magical thing happened called the Industrial Revolution. And we found this whole new way of digging up energy out of the ground. Mm. Um, and that came mostly in the form of coal. And and this has brought about a whole revolution of our earth. And all of a sudden we've had, um, we've gone from a world, Stephen Pinker talks about this. I know you've alluded mm. to him in the past where 90% of people were in extreme poverty. 
now a time where only 10% of the world are in extreme poverty. Yeah. Um, we've got a world which is, was only supporting around a billion people. Well, now we're supporting 8 billion people and counting. It's projected to be 10 billion by 2050. Um, and, you know, there's been rapid developments in science, it's technology and knowledge, and it's all like seems fantastic on the surface, except that the, the systems which we built don't respect how ecology works and don't respect, respect this, uh, the limits of, of a biological system, uh, mm. which the, the earth has. And so now we're seeing that manifest through rises in greenhouse gas emissions like carbon dioxide, which are uh, because we've just changed our environment so much in the last hundred years. And we're seeing the results of that in, in rapid changes to more droughts, more bushfires, um, more flooding, more extreme weather. Mm. Okay. Mm. Kit, this okay. I'm gonna at the risk of sounding stupid. Um, <laughs> this greenhouse, space, Jesse. Go yeah, for oh, it, man. thanks, man. Thanks. No, man. Judgment, no judgment here. Um, I don't even necessarily think I fully understand what greenhouse gases are. I, I understand it's sort of like it's a group of gases, right? It's like a category. But can you just explain for the layman what is a greenhouse gas? Yeah, what a what is what is greenhouse gases, Professor? I assume sure. it has something to do with those tiny greenhouses you get in Monopoly. Is that correct? That's my assumption. <laughs> it's that dang Monopoly sure, sets. They're sure. doing us all. Capitalism. No, okay, I'm sorry. No, I'm getting pleased, well, Daniel. Well, it's, it's, it is a greenhouse, but don't think of the greenhouses from Monopoly. Think of the greenhouse with which you grow your veggies in the backyard. Oh. And so with... Um, if the world had no atmosphere, Earth would be sitting at around minus 15 degrees average temperatures. And then wow. obviously water would be in um, in solid state and it'd be much harder to sustain life. But um, the, uh, the Earth has got CO2 and other sorts of greenhouse gases, so to speak, which I guess float around and help create our atmosphere with nitrogen and hydrogen and, and oxygen and, and the other main elements. And what that does is it works like a greenhouse, which you use in your in your backyard with your veggies or even like just think of a car which has got lots of windows in the sun and when sun shines onto our planet rather than all of it just bouncing straight off some of it gets caught by these greenhouse gases and that overall helps the earth to have a temperature with which can sustain life and so that's on average about 15 degrees um if we had no atmosphere then the like the earth would be like the moon and the moon is like minus 160 in the shade and then like plus 300 or plus 400 in the sun um, the other extreme is Venus and Venus has got too much CO2 in the atmosphere. And so Venus's temperatures are like 300 to 400 degrees. That's completely unlivable. So the earth has just got this magical sweet spot of just the right elemental makeup in our atmosphere so that we can, uh, we can sustain life here. Right. Is that what they refer to when they talk about the Goldilocks zone? Or is yeah, that to do, is that so. to do with yeah, the yeah. distance between the sun and the, and the earth or is it all one thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if if I'm interpreting the Goldilocks zone as as what I'm thinking is one of the arguments for for creationism or, or the right. arguments of intelligent design. Yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah, all the numbers are perfect. Like the locations yeah, of the yeah. Earth to the to the sun, the size of the moon. Like, it's it's all seems incredible that that like it's so perfect that the Earth does have the perfect conditions to have life and have us living here. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Cool. So the current snapshot of our understanding of climate change um, and maybe, maybe so, you, you know, th there's already a lot of great resources on this. Um, hmm. 
you actually sent us that Kutzkegatz, I think is what it is. It's German in a nutshell, but I have no idea how to say it properly. Yes. Anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure you've all seen <laughs> one of their videos at some yeah. So we're going to leave a link. Daniel's actually left a, and we might even share it on, on social or something, um, a really good link of like what's causing climate changing. I guess sort of a current snapshot of it. Um, yeah, it's very recent. It only came out a few weeks ago, I think. Mm. It's, yeah. Great video. I remember watching it when it first came out. I followed the channel. Yeah. Even nice, though I can't nice. pronounce the name. So yeah. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um Beatle and german yes <laughs> true but maybe um can you get a give us a current snapshot of where we're at with it with the issues of it with climate sure. change and then maybe after that we'll get into how how we believe adventists should start responding to that yeah sure sure so yeah. uh, to summarize that video which i highly recommend you guys to have a watch if you have the time um so there's two main drivers of um, of climate change. Uh, one of them is what I've discussed in terms of population growth. Like the earth has been sustaining you know, well, around 1 billion. Now we've got 8 billion and counting. And so with more people, obviously you need food for people to eat. You need homes for people to live in. You need materials for them's homes to, uh, and then increasing quality of life. Um, so we're consuming more and more resources. And then the other one is economic growth as a driver. And so economic growth has been traditionally come from consumption. And I think materialism and you know, there's great discussions you can have over um, how much uh, how much resources we, we consume to have ever more comfortable lives. Mm. Um, but um, it seems like, I guess, governments around the world continue to want to work to this fixed value of increasing GDP, increasing our growth, increasing, um, increasing our aggregate demand and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so as long as we're wanting to have more economic growth and the growth is coming from consuming resources, then we've got, we've got a bit of an issue. Um, so that I guess those are the two main problems which that video presents. And then the two solutions it uh, presents are reducing, increasing the efficiency of things. So more efficient car or more efficient house, a more efficient city, commuting less, and then emissions per energy production. So we all need energy to live. Like that's just that's just how it works. And plants do that they photosynthesize and take energy from the sun and then convert those calories and we can eat them um and i guess we're consuming energy in a host of other ways through um yeah through through every aspect of life and so reducing um the emissions required to produce energy by switching to more renewables like that like solar and wind and other forms that can be replaced then we've got a chance of, of helping ameliorate climate change uh, to put it in perspective, the like the sun gives us so much energy. If we collect, were able to collect all of the energy that the sun shines on the earth in one hour, that'd be enough to meet our world's de- energy demand for a whole year. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. One hour of <laughs> one hour of the sun's energy shining on Earth uh, would be enough to power everything we need for a whole year. But I thought that solar power was weak and lame and. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. No, that's that's crazy. Okay, okay. So where we're at right now, where we're at right now, um, you, were, you were saying that it's pretty much the industrial revolution that sort of kick-started the burning of fossil fuels at a, the rate that is actually raising the temperature of the earth. Mm. How long, realistically, do we have before... 
before everything starts to melt and Samoa is gone and New Zealand is gone and right like what's what are we looking at are we looking at 100 years 200 years 1000 years 30 years that's a really difficult question because i think i think like you know life is going to go on in some capacity whatever but there's going to be significant I guess casualties along the way, which is a really terrible word, and I hate I hate to use that, but there's just mm-hmm. going to be some huge shifts in our world over the coming decades. Um, if, if if many of you listen or follow Greta Thunberg, she's I think she's she like has been a fantastic advocate. She's 17 years old now mm-hmm. in stri- doing the schools um, strike for climate over the past year and a bit, and and helped encourage thousands of of rallies across the world pre-COVID and now virtual rallies. Um, but I think this is funny that I'm citing a 17-year-old. I think, <laughs> um, but I, I think like we from from the data which I was which she linked which I was reading. I think we've got about seven years before we need to rapidly reduce our emissions. Otherwise, the runaway greenhouse effect is as what the term is called will occur, and then it's like almost unstoppable. What so is that? So we've got around this seven-year window to to really rein things in. What is the runaway or, greenhouse effect? Um, so that's, I guess that's just the whole concept of feedback loops. I mean, one, one example for that is as ice melts, ice is really good at reflecting the sun's energy. And so 90% of the energy from the sun that bounces on ice or snow just goes straight back up. To the sky. I didn't know that. Whereas when um, the sun's heat uh, hits water, 90% of the energy is absorbed by the water and only hmm. 10% of that energy is reflected back. So the so, more that ice melts into water the more energy is stored which means the higher the temperatures rise spot on yeah exactly okay nice so what you're saying is we should all turn our pools into like frozen pools (laughs) ice skating rinks yes ice skating rinks across the world yeah yes (laughs) it would help right yeah well yeah sure i've also heard that if everybody just opens their fridge you know for (laughs) 10 minutes a day all at the same time that's the same thing right yeah, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just doing my bit for the planet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm burning lots of carbon emissions just to cool it down. Wait, wait. I'm doing my part. All right. No, I, I mean, I, I, I think it. It seems pretty deba- like it seems like there's a bit of debate around how long we've got. From what I've seen, obviously, I'm not a specialist, mm. but like, I mean, you say seven years, and I've seen other people say that it's too late already. Um. Well, that's what Al Gore said, you know, in early 2000, was it 2001 or 2002 when he mm. basically said it's too late now, but we still have to do stuff even though it's too late. Yeah. Sort of thing. Mm. So, is it, is it like, if if that is the case, is it just, is it just about like, I guess, minimizing the long-term effect as best we can? Sure, sure. So, uh, so I guess in the, in the industry of, sustainable stuff or whatever sustainability has been the buzzword for a long time Mm. um and that's like in the name of my current role but my new role is called climate resilience and so this is the new buzzword jargon in the the field and it's kind of saying look it's too late to be sustainable so much stuff has already happened so now what it is is about being resilient and resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity or bounce back from negative scenarios so More work is, I guess, some of the work which I'll be doing in um, in my new role will be working with local farmers and saying, look, there are going to be more droughts. There are going to be more bushfires. There are going to be more 
you know, natural disasters, things out of our control. And so now it's about how can we help you go through this? How can we help you be more resilient or more able to bounce back when, mm. when unfortunate things do occur? Hmm. Well, wow. hmm. that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it comes to stuff like rising sea levels, is that another thing which is pretty much too far gone or can we, can we change that? I think we can we can change that if we act very quickly and within the next decade we can definitely help reverse that. The, the, I think the overall um, sea level rise has been around 0.6 of a meter or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, I like any anything's possible. It's just a question of whether there's where's the, the there's the political and collective will to do so. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know. Like, I have a friend from. Um, Kiribati in the Pacific and mm, um, yeah, yeah. was it last year or was it this year they they're basically at the point where there's so much whenever there's a big storm so much of their island is just getting washed away to the point where pretty soon it'll just be and there's other islands like there's Tuvalu and you know there's mm. Niue and they're, they're all absolutely getting hammered right now it just makes me wonder are we going to see this in our lifetime where islands like Kiribati and Tuvalu are going to be just completely washed away yeah it's scary i don't <laughs> yeah you don't have to have the answer for it i guess no, but it's, no. yeah i mean i like i don't have the answer there's just you know from from a scientific perspective there's different models so to speak and so i think they're called rcp so the relative concentration pathways so essentially um, models of how much work we do in reducing emissions versus what results that will have and mm. so in the worst case scenario by 2070 by 21 by 2100 yeah a lot of those nations which are one to two meters above sea level at the king tide would definitely be at risk wow mm. um, yeah it's it's really scary mm. wow okay well to lighten spirits a little bit then <laughs> please, uh, please what do. are some <laughs> good things you are seeing at the moment i guess like are there good things happening that people could get behind um you know fixing their eye like good even just in in our part of the world obviously i'm sure there's good things happening all over but i'm sure whatever i don't know whatever you've seen just to have a bit of a positive spin and say it's not all bad because there are people doing things right yeah <laughs> okay. I think that there are people doing things and I think there's been huge momentum in the last year, especially around the world of people rallying together. So I, because, you know, Al Gore put out his, um, his movie in the early 2000s. People have known about climate change and, and the issues since the 70s and the 80s. And now it seems like momentum is building and the, the Paris agreements mm -hmm. were signed in 2015. Now Biden's going to be re rejoining America to them um, on his first day in office. Um, and I think, you know, a bunch of celebrities like David Attenborough put out this fantastic mm. documentary on, on Netflix, which he's called his, like his mission statement or what was it? Yeah. Um, he wants it as his legacy. Like yeah. he, 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 this documentary, uh, he talks about how over his 93 years of life, he's seen this change, this change, this mm. change, this change, wow. but we can do stuff to, to, to change it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know about this. That's uh, is that our planet? Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah yeah it, it's on yeah. netflix yeah okay if you, if you don't have netflix jump on the free trial give it a watch it's great it's, fantastic. <laughs> it's great i, re I recommend find, it find, I recommend dig up another email address yeah <laughs> can you can you explain to us um the the paris the paris um agreement and 
you don't you don't necessarily you're not a political analyst so i don't know what yes. if you know i don't know if you know why trump pulled out um and all that sort of stuff but can you just explain what the significance of that particular agreement is sure so i guess one challenge that we have in in the world and the systems that we have is whether to work in our own interest or our collective interest and so um like you know each country operating for their best interests is um your solution is to pollute as much as possible, make as much money from that as you can, and then you're all good. And so if everyone's doing it, then like it's in your best interest to just pollute. But then if everyone works together, then you can come to a better solution. Yeah, That's yeah. that's essentially what, what I see the Paris Agreements as. It's like, look, it's in countries' individual interest to pollute more, but then that will bring disaster for everyone. So this is, I guess, a commitment for all different countries to come and say, hey, we're going to meet these, these targets. And then collectively, the world can can be on track to be able to stop runaway climate change. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, uh, okay. So I guess then th- knowing that it definitely makes sense why Trump would pull out uh, of an agreement that is trying to achieve collective good in an America first policy sort yeah. of yeah, regime. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I guess you don't have to be a political analyst, analyst to understand that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Okay. So there's the Paris Agreement. That's a really good thing. Um, yeah. Uh, any other really like big highlights that we're seeing at the moment that are really good that you feel deserve um, a bit of attention? Sure. I think I think there's a growing um, growing I guess understanding or awareness over this concept of the social cost of carbon and the idea mm-hmm. of being able to um, bring. I hate to say the word carbon taxes, but by putting a price <laughs> on this externality, uh, which is occurring from when you're burning fossil fuels. And um, I think if there, there's talk, you know, there's a lot of destruction of the Amazon that's occurring at the moment. Mm. And um, there's like, if you look at the economics of the, of the Amazon, it's, it's devastating because for each hectare um, of Amazon, which they're cutting down, the farmers might earn 30 to 40 US dollars a year um, from cutting down a hectare. And, and that's, it's just wow. this, terrible perverse um, economic system which we have where a tree is worth more dead than alive it's worth more mm. cut up than it is sitting there um you know in all this glory in a rainforest um sucking carbon out of the atmosphere and providing mm. value to the world and society so i guess as a positive that there's um increasing movement and momentum around um being able to price price carbon in and be able to you know almost pay back in instances in places like the Amazon to pay for people not to cut down the rainforest um, by saying, hey, look, this is actually providing a really good carbon sink for the whole world and it's bettering everyone to leave the rainforest as it is. Mm. Mm, that's yeah, because cool. the Amazon, that's um, what we refer to as the Earth's lungs. Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know if you saw um, Mr. Beast, the YouTuber, he did that whole Team Trees campaign. Yes, I did follow that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know how effective it is to just plant trees, but planting 100 million trees seems pretty significant and they reached it. Like, and mm. got, Like, I thought that was something I saw that was really cool because it seemed to make, hey, like, let's just make a difference and let's let's do something. Um, and I think it got a whole lot of like Mr. Beast's audience, a lot of them are like young teenage boys, mm-hmm. like getting them on board for climate change, like, you know, making positive impact. I think that's really cool. Like just getting that that growing awareness, like you're saying, and making it a, a good thing to yeah. act positively towards it. Yeah, you're right. That's I mean, yeah, as a practical thing everyone can do, just go 
go out, buy a little tree, buy a lemon tree, buy an oak tree, buy a gum tree, whatever you want to plant, plant it, and then you'll be able to enjoy it over the next few years. And you know you're making a difference from that. Very yeah. cool. Very That's cool. So cool. Uh, at the risk of uh, bringing the mood down again, um, it seems to be my job here. <laughs> we're, that's, we're a roller coaster. That's what makes us a good team. Yeah. Mood up, you take the mood down. That's right. right. We're, we're having the, fun. The perfect <laughs> duo. Uh, <laughs> and poor Daniel's just along for the ride or whatever we throw at him. Yeah. Dan, I don't know how much you know about, I mean, a bit more close to home, Australia, um, the, the mining industry. The Liberal Party, coalition government, all that sort of stuff. Um, but for those of us who are in Australia and New Zealand, this is a little bit more close to home, a little bit more impactful for us. What's your take on um, the mining corporations and the the coalition? That whole that whole thing. I know there are some people that are very vocal about that. I'm just interested in your take on it. My take on their stance, or my take on. Australia's economy and exporting so much. Yes, on what we're doing with our natural resources, the political power that goes along with it, and uh, the obviously the very real um, climate impact that it must be making. Mm. Yeah, I think it's 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 unfortunate that there's obviously a lot of politicians and owners of mining companies playing golf. And, <laughs> and, and here it is again, right? <laughs> and 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 ringing through somewhat questionable deals. Look, mining. Um, maybe this is controversial, and people in my sphere might might not like me saying this, but I think like you know we need you know it's, mining isn't inherently evil. Like we do need resources, and if we're going to bring about renewable future, we do need lots of resources to make batteries and make other forms of um, of sustainable energy. So. I'm not saying mining is inherently bad, but I think Australia as an economy, we export like a huge amount of our money comes from taxes from mining companies, exporting coal, exporting natural gas, exporting iron ore, which is used with incredibly intense um, carbon, uh, carbon emitting processes to make steel. And we need these to make cities. We need these to, um, to, you know, to keep industrializing the world and, and to sustain more people living on earth. But then it's like, hang on a second, we can't do this forever. It's like, it's like this crazy game of Minecraft where we're just exploiting everything. And then, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, where's the end point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's when we uh, hit the never. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I hear you though. I hear because I, I grew up in uh, the Southern Highlands um, just outside of Wollongong and we mm-hmm. used to be able to go to a lookout overlooking uh, Wollongong and uh, specifically Port Kembla. Um, that it processes iron, iron ore and so many other different metals. And I, I remember even as a kid, we'd go out in the lookout and sometimes it'd be a clear day, but sometimes when the um, refinery was going and the chimneys were just pumping out all this smoke, the whole place would just be covered uh, in this, this sooty ash sort of thing. And it, it's not like nuclear winter or anything like that, but I just remember thinking, man, that... That that cannot be healthy, you know. Being a being, you know, seeing this entire valley on the coastline and just just smoke pouring out. Mm. Um, even as a kid, I just remember thinking, that's kind of that's kind of not right, you know, in a way. Yeah, yeah. As a as a as a cool segue, I think if uh, there was this book written, I'm just trying to find the name of the author who um, who wrote about the life of C.S. Lewis and and J.R. Tolkien, and um, Tolkien was 
seeing the impact the, the industrial revolution was having to his little country towns around um, around the UK, from you know huge smoke barreling up, and part of his influence to write the Lord of the Rings and Sauron and all the smoke and gas and fire was right. from him being fearful, going look at like look at what's happening to our world, look mm. what we're doing. Yeah. Because, of course, at the end of The Lord of the Rings, that's what Saruman goes and does. He goes and turns the Shire into this industrial hellscape. And then, like, once they've actually defeated Sauron, they have to go back and retake this idyllic, um, pastoral, uh, secluded, you know, paradise, which has been transformed into this Mm. industrial uh, yeah, hellscape. Yeah, that's what what the Shire represents, this lovely little community. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So wow. cool! Wow. Um, so okay. So let's talk about let's talk about let's connect this now to. I mean, yeah, C.S. Lewis, great and <laughs> great segue to talking about and connecting this to our faith and our worldview as Adventists. Because again, I, I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, it's like Jesus is coming soon anyway. Doesn't matter. Or this is how if the world's going to end. We can't really change it. So just go with the flow. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah how how do you how do you connect because obviously you're very passionate about climate change but you're also very Mm. passionate about the local church you're really involved in your local church too um from what i understand Uh, and i think that's hanging out hanging out with my pastor here (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, yeah, i don't know so how do you connect those two yeah look sure sure i think i think well a lot of it for me comes back to the garden of eden and the and the idea that you know God gave Adam and Eve this garden to tend to and care for and be stewards of, and mm-hmm. from there onwards, you know, we've been entitled to have dominion over animals and protect animals and protect the the built the environment around us. So that's definitely a big driver of of where I come from and why I'm why I'm passionate about this because that's that's our duty as Christians to to care for the world that mm-hmm. that we have. Yeah, which is funny. I mean, that's kind of the first the first commandment we were we were really given was to care for the earth and yet it seems so often forgotten <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um, that's really interesting yeah um, so oh, yeah jesse go oh i was just gonna say i mean in your in your experience and we've already touched on this very early on but why do you think there is such a split in the in the church on um on, on climate change? Why, why do you think that a lot of people don't take it seriously? And what would you say to somebody who doesn't take climate change seriously or is perhaps a climate denier or, or whatever the case may be? Sure. Um, that's, a great, that's a great question. I think um, maybe I, I might say that, look, it's very easy to be ignorant and easy to just like be comfortable with the lives we're, we're looking at and not thinking about the repercussions on, on what our actions are having. Um, but I, yeah, I guess I'd try to, I'd say that, look, you know, as, as Christians, we're, we're called to care about our world. We're called to um, be stewards. We're called to, um, to stand for justice and stand for, for what, what we see as right. And, and that is to love us, um, love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And, I, and I'd like to think that that means that, you know, if we're doing um, or supporting industries or um, that are polluting, polluting the world and, and might have repercussions say on some people in the Pacific islands, then like, you know, we, we're not, we're not making that connection, but I, I'd like, I'd suggest that the world is global and that we should be thinking that way and thinking what could our actions be having on, 
on people around us who are less fortunate. Mm. Mm. Especially when you consider like in some islands how huge Adventism is there in some mm. of the Pacific Islands and yet other Adventists in the world are deliberately taking actions that are then hurting their Adventist brothers and sisters in islands. You know, like it's mm. a weird yeah, when you connect yeah. that. It's like we're actually hurting our own family. Mm, mm. I only just draw that connection then. Wow, that's super mm. interesting. Mm. But, but we're very good at not thinking about like what we do. So even now, like I've had I've had some um, some milk in my coffee, and so for um, for milk in Australia, it costs a dollar a liter, and it's like, hang on, a dollar has somehow paid for a cow to be raised, cut down a forest. You've got cow eating grass, you're feeding it grain, you're feeding it, mm. you're supplying it with water. And then over, you've got all this infrastructure and then you're like taking the milk from the from the mother and then bringing it on a truck, processing it, bringing it to a supermarket, come to me and it's a dollar. And I'm just like, how does this make sense? This doesn't, a dollar doesn't represent all of the energy and all of the input yeah. that's gone into that, into that milk. Mm. Um, so... I guess part of it is also, I guess, the way that the world's structured is that we don't really think about um, the the carbon cost, so to speak, of what mm. our actions are having. And so I'd say doing so would be, a, like, as Christians, we should be trying to think beyond beyond just the base value. Mm. Mm. We should yeah. be moving out to the country, growing our own tomatoes, potatoes, and raising our own... Raising our own tofu, slaughtering our own tofu on the on the block. <laughs> it's funny you say that because often those who 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 support moving out to the country and following, I guess, uh, Ellen White's writings to prepare yeah. to do that, are often those who would be denying climate change. Or oh, is, yeah, is, is that is is that a, a, maybe maybe that's a generalization? I shouldn't let, let let them do it anyway. Let them let them support. Uh, action against climate change even if they don't realize it (laughs) (laughs) by growing their own veggies like yeah that's that's fantastic (laughs) yeah yeah it's wonderful yeah well funnily enough i have heard that one of the one of the most effective things people could do to and maybe this could be a a bit of an over exaggeration but one of the best things people could do to reduce their climate footprint in their diet is to just reduce how much cow products they have whether it's eating Mm. meat or whether it's having dairy because even just like switching to like soy milk or rice milk or something takes way less space to grow uses way less uh, produces way less um carbon co2 uh, carbon yeah Mm. so yeah is that true i don't know that's just a fun little fact that i heard recently that's true that's true i think they say that to make a glass of milk also to make one liter of milk uses 600 to a thousand liters of water Wow. Not to mention all of the carbon emissions from that as well. Whereas making soy milk might be about two to three hundred liters of water to make a liter of soy milk, and then almond milk's a bit more, and then rice milk. I'm not not sure the exact numbers, but wow. Yeah, but still, comparatively speaking, it's way less than uh, yes, yeah, than a cow. Yeah. If anyone's watched Cowspiracy on Netflix, that's that's what I'm alluding to with that. Ooh. Cowspiracy. Cowspiracy. I love it. Just the name. I'm going to watch it. Okay. <laughs> Make a little note. Yeah. Just the name um, sold me. Speaking <laughs> speaking about Cowspiracy, uh, are there any other good documentaries, uh, videos? We've got the one uh, from Kurzgesagt on the show notes, but are there any other ones that you would recommend to people if they want a little bit more of a, an in-depth um crash course to climate change yeah yeah i'd definitely say the kirgasat in the nutshell <laughs> one um uh and then our planet the, the most recent david Attenborough one is fantastic 
Uh, yep. For those of you who are in Australia, this guy called Craig Rucastle has put out a series, A Fight for Planet A, and also previously a one called War on Waste. And so in these episodes, he talks a lot about the science around climate change and he really brings it home by not by like talking about the big picture, but then also following fam- families and he follows five or six families in their journey over a few months to try to reduce their emissions. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's really cool because, I mean, that's how he, he has a stat that if every, um, if every Australian household like just did their little bit, would have more um, more impact on reducing emissions than all of Australia's government climate policy around it. Wow! Whoa, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. So it yeah. comes down to individual individual choices, and just one person um, cutting out a little a little bit of meat might not feel like much, but if you know collectively we're doing it, then mm. then hey, that's that's a big change. I was going to ask mm. you about that because, as you mentioned before, the idea of sustainability is kind of out as the the vogue thing. So I was going to ask you before, so I'll ask you now since you brought it up, is that still a, is it still a viable option for the individual person or should the individual person be looking to just brace for impact? What, what was the term, <laughs> what was the term you used? Uh, resiliency? Resilient, climate resiliency? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, th- I think, I think at this, it's a bit of both. Like in, uh, for example, in, in my in my previous job where we're looking at sustainable buildings um a lot of our work was around doing climate adaptation um reports for new housing estates and new warehouses and new um factories and such and saying hey look over the next 10 years like the number of extreme heat days over 35 is going to double and then there's going to be you know there might be five days over 35 now there's going to be 10 in 10 years and then by 2050 there might be 30 days over 35 so you're going to need to upsize your air conditioning to be able to cope with this. You're going to need to ensure that any employees who need to work outside at a factory can have shading because it's going to be hotter for more of the year. And so I think we like should try to do our part to live more sustainable, but then at the same time, yeah, not, I don't want to say brace for impact, but you know, like (laughs) prepare that, you know, that, that the world is going to be changing in the climates of, of whatever city or location we're in might not be, um, as it is now in 20, 30 years time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we, oh, Jesse, you look like you got another question. I have another question too, but I don't want to cut you off. That face was so like, you have a serious question. Uh, I do have a serious question, but I want you to ask your question first because okay. mine's, mine's my, I'm hoping that yours is going to lighten us up a little bit and then I can come, I can bring us down. This is the pattern. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't know. I don't want to be too jarring, but okay. So we've talked about individual responsibility. Do you think churches should be actively doing things about like Mm. collectively a church should be doing something about climate change? Is this something pastors should be preaching about? I don't know. Just from your perspective. Mm. I'd say that churches and, and communities say at the 50 to 150 to 200 scale are the ideal size of people who can make us want a sort of difference. Because really? at a personal level, we can do a little bit, but it's hard to get momentum. Like if it's just you, then at like government big level, they can bring out all these policies and strategies and say, hey, this is what we want to support. But um, but communities really can make change because people are bouncing off each other. They can see like easy wins as you're making a difference. So whether that's in say, um, say a good example is maybe reducing... Uh, reducing waste and let's say if um if uh, like a church got together and said hey look we're all going to try to go composting um and we're mm. going to switch over then 
hey, you've got all these amazing, amazing stories and you can get experiences from people in your community as to the change you're having. Wow. Um, so there's this course online, which is free at the moment because of COVID called Think Resilience. And Think Resilience talks about the different levels where you can have an impact. And they say that the community level is the most powerful way to bring about climate resilience. Hmm. Um, they definitely anything... translate to church. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Is there anything that like just real rapid fire, like you lo- you walk into your local church. I know like right now it's not the best idea walking into your local church, depending on where you're at. But let's say you go into your local church, you're just doing church as normal. Are uh, there any things that churches that you see that churches are doing that you're like, there could be a better way for being more um, environmentally efficient or environmentally friendly, uh, wastage, power usage what do you what do you reckon Mm, that's that's a hard one that's a really hard one because from like a building design level if a church is only used two to three hours a week there's actually not much point spending a huge amount of money and making it really efficient because it's only used a few hours anyway so probably the most efficient way is to find a most efficient use of a church asset is to find ways to for it to be used throughout the week and then you've got this brick and mortar building which can be serving the community seven days a week rather than just a few hours on, on the weekend. Hmm. Um, in terms of reducing waste, I think this is always an ongoing discussion which churches have as to whether you want to have disposable plates if you've got a potluck or something like that. And, you know, the convenience of that often outweighs the burden of having to find people each week to be able to do the washing. So that's that's something where I guess a church would have to decide, hey, is this a, ch- a change that we want to make and show that we can be making a difference in reducing waste? Then, hey, we could do this. Mm. if uh okay so let's talk disposable plates just just since you brought it up right so you got you got i'm assuming washing your dishes that's the most efficient or is it not yes um okay well so there's debates there's this thing called a life cycle analysis which looks at uh which looks at you know a product or like something like say a cup from cradle to grave so right from getting the materials (laughs) materials <laughs> to make it and then you transport it to wherever you're using it then you use the cup a bunch of times and then you dispose of it um in terms of carbon often coffee cups or um disposable coffee cups or disposable plates use less carbon than having crockery which might only be used a few times and then oh. washed very heavily and washed very inefficiently because the energy used to make the hot water is often more than how little energy it takes to use plastic um, which is huh. a bit, which is a bit scary because like the whole movement of like, oh, let's like um, use keep cups and yeah. not use disposable cups um, <laughs> is great from a waste perspective. But then from a carbon perspective, if you're like really rigorous in your washing and you've got a, a cup and you like wash it with super hot water for 30 seconds, you're actually like doing more emissions from that than, than if you had a very <laughs> cheap plastic cup that you threw yeah. away. <laughs> I wonder how many keep cups Josh and I have between us. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a challenge too that I think a lot of people just see it as, oh, environmental issues. They throw it all into one category. But really, like, emissions and climate change is kind of a different issue to our waste problem that we have. Yeah, sure. That's true. Yeah, and I don't know yeah. if a lot of people actually draw the line between them that often the solution for one can make more of a problem for the other, mm. which is frustrating (laughs) so when it comes to stuff like um paper straws um bamboo forks and knives and spoons paper plates or bamboo plates or whatever it is 
Um, is that sort of your your good zone as far as minimizing um, like that sort of disposable stuff, like the biodegradable, recyclable stuff, as opposed to like the cheap and nasty sort of um, dollar shop plastic plates? Yeah, definitely. So uh, when I was I was living in Vancouver for half a year in Canada, and over there they've got fantastic waste processing, and so there I think the university I was at had a policy where all cups, plates, crockery has to be compostable. And okay. so everything is bamboo or timber or wood and, and it's great. And the church had a similar possible, um, similar policy. So the church I was at, shout out to anyone listening from Oak Ridge. Uh, they, they had all of their crockery and plates and stuff all compostable. And there's just a big compostable bin where you put it all in and then that's processed and that's actually used by the city to make energy, which I think is really cool. Hmm. Wow. That's cool. That is cool. And I should actually mention as well, um, South Korea is one of the countries I think that is doing this really well of um, uh, processing uh, a lot of their waste and recycling that into energy. But actually, it's happening in New Zealand now. There is a company Mm. called Bioplant. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, Dan, Um, but they're setting up a whole bunch of plants here in New Zealand to uh, process waste all throughout the country. And their, their goal is to get uh, waste wastage here to zero in like 20, awesome. 30 years. Yeah, so, awesome. But we'll see how it goes. It's only like the beginning stages. Wow. That's cool. Um, so church is making an effort in maybe switching to at least, or I don't know, maybe, yeah, com- compostable. Um, uh, yeah, compostable plates, cups, all that sort of stuff, unless they have a very efficient way of washing their cutlery, right? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, if they got really efficient, like, industrial dishwashers and all that infrastructure is there, then yeah, hey, do that. And that's yeah, great. Okay. Which is what we have at our church, which is really cool. Awesome. Massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Josh is like, phew, oh, I don't have to throw <laughs> it all out. <laughs> maybe, I guess I get, maybe I've still got PTSD because at my my church growing up, we didn't have a dishwasher and we oh. it was an Asian ethnic church. So we'd have pot like every week and yeah. it would always be the youth's responsibility to do the dishes. <laughs> So, so you have, you have a vendetta like, against dishwashing now. It scarred you that horribly. It scarred me because we'd have a potluck with maybe 80 people and there's just mountains of plates and one basin, or <laughs> one, one tap with two basins and you'd have one person oh. washing, one person rinsing and then like an army of four people all drying with their tea towels and you'd just see the tea towels getting more and more unsanitary as the, oh. as the stuff went on there. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we can all resonate with that at some level. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well. Okay, I was, so church, wait, we'll come back. I just want to just finish up this. So I asked another part, do you reckon pastors should preach on this? It's interesting from your perspective. Ooh. And it's all right. I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, um, but is it something that you kind of wish was just at least mentioned from the pulpit, even just as a part of another sermon or I don't know? I think it would be great to be mentioned more frequently because it comes down to how we live and it comes down to understanding and reading the Bible, you know, in in a culturally relevant way. And I think at the, especially at this moment, now that there's so much momentum around climate change and us thinking about, hey, what what is my impact on, on the world and the environment having? I think it definitely makes sense to be preaching about preaching about that and, and us thinking more globally and thinking more collectively as to... Um, what what our what our decisions might be having on others. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Hmm. Very good. Very good. All right, Jesse. 
Okay. You. All right. So my, I've only got one more question. It's a big, scary question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to imagine you, you to imagine Dan. Okay, you're sitting down with somebody who's a climate denier. They really couldn't give a rat's about climate change. In fact, maybe they just don't think it's a thing at all. Um, if you wanted to convince them of what of to take climate change seriously, and you had to tell them, okay, in a hundred years' time, we don't know for sure. But here are some of the things that are going to happen in our world for your kids if we don't take climate change seriously. What would you? What would be some of the things that you would say to them? This is what the world is going to look like potentially in a hundred years' time if we don't take this thing seriously and actually start to make changes. I don't. I don't want you to. You know, you don't have to give the definitive. I know this is a lot. A lot of it up is up to debate and. We got projections and predictions, but like some of the things that you would you would think that we would see in a hundred years' time if we don't take climate change seriously as a world right now. Mm. Okay, so I guess to, to preface that sort of conversation, I'd probably try to spend at least ten to fifteen minutes asking them questions about their worldview, about their upbringing, about their background, about what they've experienced and what they've gone through to come to this opinion. Because I think we're all a product of our um, of our society and our environment around us, and they're not going to hold strong opinions against climate change as a hoax. This isn't happening unless they've got either some personal personal reason or you know like some sort of you know cause as to why why they would why would they, they would deny that that something and big shifts are happening in the world. Um, and then following that, um, look, I think the if nothing is done, like the worst case scenario projections are quite grim. They they do say that we're going to have many more bushfires, many more droughts, many more floods. Um, if you if any of you guys are familiar with um, Yuval Harari's book Sapiens, I think mm. he definitely comes at the world from a very humanist perspective. But in his in his series Sapiens and then Homo Deus, um, he talks about how humans have always been blighted with famine, plague, and war. So throughout human history, up till the Industrial Revolution. Um, you know, it, you've all, people have always thought, oh, well, a famine's happening. This is because of the gods. This is because, mm. you know, something out there is happening. Plagues are happening. This is something we can't control. And war's happening because you know, there's conflicts and stuff. And I'd almost say that, hey, look, if we don't take this seriously and um, and if you believe that Jesus is going gonna, is, is gonna to come but and say Jesus hasn't come by another 100 years, then the world might be back to a state where there's famine, there's plague, there's war, where... Um, there's droughts and that causes conflicts and there's a lot of data around a lot of civil wars across Africa which are directly caused by significant droughts and crop failures causing people to you know to to rise up um, and in terms of famine um, for those of you who've seen interstellar I think interstellar is set around 2060 2070 I was literally <laughs> thinking about interstellar as you were describing this stuff yeah, like Interstellar is literally a potential um, result in the next hundred years because of, mm. of adopting monocropping and us um, in the agric in the um, agric industrial agricultural system by mm. cutting down wild forests and biodiversity and just having one crop that just and using mm. lots of um, unnatural fertilizers around it, then we could generally genuinely see just like crops failing and us mm. unable to provide enough food for everyone so it's it is grim and i'd just implore anyone who was thinking that way to say 
hey, look, look, actions do have consequences. That's just a basic fact. And to deny that what we're doing as having some cause on, on other people, I think is very selfish or, or at least ignorant. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you. And I know we, we all don't want to eat okra pretty much 24-7. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, that's like the only thing they were growing. Matthew McConaughey was growing. Um, but um, yeah, I think, and I ask, ask you that question because I think a lot of the time in the moment that we're living in and we're having all these conversations and yet we're looking outside our windows and we're seeing beautiful trees and flowers and we're seeing rain coming down and we're seeing the weather get cold and it get hot again and for many of us who aren't affected by the bushfires the droughts on a very personal level those of us living in cities you know we see running water who cares you know mm-hmm. our lives are going on and yet we have this as you just alluded to in a hundred years time that's not a long time even if it's even if we're not alive then it's going to be the lives of our kids mm-hmm. and that's I think something that we really need to definitely take seriously because, I mean, if we're having kids, you know, we're all in our mid, late 20s. Josh has just had a little baby girl. I mean, Josh doesn't want that for his daughter. Mm, yeah, He doesn't want that yeah. for his daughter's daughter. I mean, it's got to be as simple as that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I'm thinking of that Simpsons quote, oh, someone please think about the children. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> True. Uh, thank you. Um, yes. Oh man, Dan, you've just been so succinct and eloquent in your words. You've been an amazing guest. So thank you so much. Um so let's just recap. I want to finish on just um practical like keeping the practical solutions at the forefront, um, making this actionable for people. We've seen the picture mm. of what it's like. We've gotten some theology. We've already had some practical steps, but I guess just recapping on that. Um Obviously, first and foremost would be to get pretty educated on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we'll leave some resources. Um, Dan, you can even send us more after this if you want, and we'll just send it all out to our our crew, and you all can can get educated, get woke. Is that what the kids say? Or am I using <laughs> that wrong? Please don't. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, just something to get get well. But um, as far as like practical solutions for individuals and churches or even small groups um i mean we talked about maybe making like a policy change for your church to switch to if you're using um plastic to instead use to something like more environmentally friendly like compostable um are there any other cool things you you could think like you could maybe envision like small groups or churches doing um or even just individuals yeah sure sure i think look i think the a journey, or any journey or any big talent challenge starts with the first step and getting mm-hmm. doing something small and getting a quick easy win is, can be really satisfying um, both for you individually and also if church communities come together and say hey we want to take actions we want to do little things so for those of you who've been in parts of the world with lockdowns um, and had been stuck at home I know um, in my like in my house and lots of friends have taken up gardening and I think oh, wow. Gardening is is a great way to to be more connected with with the world around us. Mm. And so for me, I've I've like started a little herb garden, and then I, my parents have planted some snow peas. And so just last week, we harvested some snow peas from the backyard, put it on the salad, was delicious. So good. And little things like that are so satisfying because you literally see this little seedling 
grow and grow over the months and then you can reap it. And I think it just being connected to nature and the environment like that can link to so many different parables and, and give a better understanding on the, the world when, when Jesus was here um, mm. to, to, uh, to read the New Testament in, in, in a new light. So I'd say that's definitely like, yeah, just go, go plant some carrots, go plant some snow peas, go yep. <laughs> play around outside. I think that's a great step. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I know like some people might get really passionate and might want to be like try and change their whole church. Um, but yeah, I guess just from just from somebody who works in, in church, it's probably better if you just start small, start like yourself and then just if you have a small group or a Sabbath school group or something, um, even just having a little challenge, like you mentioned before, like having a little compost challenge or something. Yeah, I think I think that'd be that'd be great. Like, have a challenge: how little rubbish can you put in the bin? Like, how much can mm. you compost? How much can you recycle? How much can you repurpose? Um, for for me at our house, we've just got a little puppy. We've got this cute little border collie, and we found that the best way to keep her entertained is not by buying her toys, but just letting her play with stuff that we chuck in the recycling bin. So oh, wow. she loves little plastic water bottles, and she's just <laughs> <laughs> she had stayed for hours playing with the water bottle. So it's like, all right, yeah. well, you know, I don't well like contributing to plastic waste but hey we found a very cool like way to use it <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that's totally my so, i've got a little puppy as well um a couple of you might know that um and we bought him a couple toys as well but it was so ironic we have this plastic um little just pot that you know some little plant came in uh empty pot in the backyard and he spends most of his time chewing on that and playing with that <laughs> rather than the toys that we spent money on it's very frustrating <laughs> yeah but there you go yeah. but yeah josh i guess in terms of practical steps i think it comes down to different people with small groups at church saying if they come together and get educated and say hey look this is something that we want to make a difference on if you uh, if a small group set sets themselves a challenge and hey we want to compost more we want to recycle we want to all buy a tree and all go plant a tree mm. in our backyards. I think that's that's fantastic. And then, you know, years on, you'll be able, you'll be able to look at this grand big tree and be like, "I did that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I made my, I did my little part." Yeah, I love yeah. it. Awesome. I love it. All right. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Dan. This has been great. I love this. You did. I feel like we've covered so much ground in yeah. this episode. So. <laughs> Um, I'm going to recommend to people at the end of the episode, you probably shouldn't have listened to this at 1.5 speed. You probably should have just listened to it at one time speed. So you might have to listen to it again. But uh, maybe just so slow much. it down. Maybe just slow it down. Just do it at 0. 0. 0.5 speed. speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've never listened to a podcast. <laughs> Couldn't like <not> do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, any any final things that you wanted to share, Dan, or are you you feeling good? I'm 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 pretty happy to finish on some practical little things that we can all do. I think that's great. Yeah, and that's I think sweet. just um just being more aware is is the perfect first step. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All right. And we'd love to hear what all of you think, so um please uh, reach out, share with us on on social um what your thoughts are on on all of this. Um what you think Adventists should be doing or Christians and how you see it with the world. We'd love to hear from you. And the best thing, the best place to go for all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. Mm, absolutely. And uh, if you haven't already, please uh, smash the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else. Uh, and uh, if you would like to help us out, uh, you can do that in one of two or 
two of two ways. Uh, leave us a uh, review on the podcatching app of your choice and or or and and no and and go and buy a T-shirt or a hoodie or, or something like that. Um, I don't know how much carbon it actually costs to, to, to make a hoodie. So I'm feeling kind of bad about uh, saying that, but I'm no, sure no, no, it's no, no. bulk order. Then you're saving carbon. So okay. buy lots in buy, one hit. Buy 10 buy of lots. them yep. and 20, 30 even, you know. Yeah. And, Make uh, the shipping worth it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, oh, thank you. Guys, solutions, solutions. Fantastic. Buy 30 of our sheet t- T-shirts. It's, uh, it's a good thing to do. <laughs> sheets. Buy 30 sheets. of our new Burn the Haystack sheets coming soon. Everybody will want them. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not making sheets. You've got a whole linen range. <laughs> Can I get some of Burn the Haystack towels? <laughs> Thousand thread count. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, thank man. you so much, everybody. We love you. Look after the earth. Be good stewards. That is Josh and Jesse and Dan. Out. Thank you.